So if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking in Hebrews chapter 11 and some in Genesis chapter 18. As we continue in this series that I've entitled The Heroes of the Faith, both men and women who have been great examples for us to follow. And our theme verse is Hebrews 11.6, which says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, to please God. And if we want to please anybody, we want to please God. So we need to have faith to please God. For he who comes to God first, first believe that God is, that He exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently, earnestly, sincerely uh, seek Him. And today we're going to talk about an amazing woman of faith. Last week we talked about Abraham and and his faith. And this week we're going to talk about his wife, Sarah. Now we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, all of chapter 11 is what I would call a snapshot of people. Now a snapshot is just a simple picture. As you know, it doesn't tell you a whole lot about a person. Sometimes it's just a face. Sometimes it's just a nice picture quickly made. And what Hebrews 11 is, is a snapshot of different people of faith. And it shows the good side. Not about you, I don't have a good side, so any side that you take a picture is a bad side. But most of us, if we have a portrait made, we want somebody especially if you're high up like a president or a king or queen, when they do portraits, those kind of pictures, they take a brush and get rid of all of the imperfections. And that's kind of what Hebrews 11 does. It takes all of these people and gives them about a sentence or two of they had faith and here's what they did. But there's more to the story than what Hebrews 11 says. And I'm so glad that the Bible when it paints a picture of our heroes and heroines, in other chapters it gives us their warts and all. Because most of us in here have warts and imperfections. And if you don't, you you haven't looked in the mirror (laughs) lately. All of us have our imperfections. And so to me, it's, it's good to know that even the heroes and heroines of the faith had imperfections and yet, Their faith is what got them through, and that's good news for you and me because that's still uh, the truth. Because in the snapshot, we see the best. But in the other chapters, we see that they've had sin in their lives, their hair's messed up from running from God, or their, their makeup is not on, and you get to see them as they really are. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is a cosmetic fix for the heroes of the faith. But the real truth is in the stories. But we can learn because the Bible tells us, uh, four times in the Bible it says, the just shall live by faith. Those who are desiring to live for God, those who are trying to live a righteous life, a godly life, must do it by faith. We can't do it on our own. We have to have faith that God will help us. and We have to have faith that God he is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently, earnestly, sincerely seek Him. And so, 
we're hopefully in this series of messages, why a series of messages on these men and women? Because I believe that seeing is believing, but also faith is not just taught, that faith in walking with God is caught is that when we see other people do it, it encourages us. And when we see that other people sometimes mess up, but God can still use them, then we don't have to listen to the lie of the enemy, lie of the enemy who says, well, if you've messed up, you can't go back. The first place people give up when they feel like they've messed up is church. Because they think we're a bunch of polished brass in here who, who have reached some kind of perfection and we're better than everybody else. And we all know that's not the truth. We're all of us seeking, pursuing, walking after God. And sometimes we stumble and fall, but we ask the Lord to forgive us and pick us back up so we can continue the walk. So, to me, Hebrews 11 is important because instead of just learning what worship is from some of those who worship the Lord, Instead of just learning about it, we begin to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Instead of just learning how to walk with God, we actually start walking with God in the way He desires us to. Instead of just learning about the obedience of Abraham, we start practicing obedience in our own lives. So it's just not about stories, it's about how can we apply this to our lives. And so last week we learned about Abraham, the father of faith. He was the father of all who believe, the Bible tells us. And now today we're going to study about Sarah, who I believe, if she had a title, would be the mother of faith. Because she's Abraham's wife, Isaac's mother, and she had great faith herself. So let's look at what I would call, first of all, the portrait, the true portrait of Sarah. And we begin with chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 11, that says this, And by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered Him faithful, God, who had made the promise that she was going to have a child. So let's look at Sarah's background. We know that she was the wife of Abraham, don't know when they got married because the story of Sarah and Abraham picks up when Abraham is 75 and she's 65. So they had a life before that of 65, 75 years that we know very little about except that they were uh, both living in a place called the Ur of Chaldees. Now from what I've read about that, it was a very sophisticated society. Even they had learned how to take water and channel it into their houses to make some kind of air conditioning in the hot desert areas. So they were very sophisticated. Unfortunately, they were also very pagan. This particular area uh, was known for its uh, altars to pagan gods, its idol worship, and society had been totally paganized in their culture. Abraham and Sarah both, now you may not know this, but uh, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. And they had the same father, a different mother. And in those days, it was considered okay before the genetic strains of people got so polluted and diluted that it didn't cause problems. So 
there was many people who married people that were kin uh, to them. So, it, it was not in a, something that was forbidden. Today it shouldn't be practiced because we know that all kinds of problems can result from that. So, Abraham had married uh, Sarah and, and she was a very beautiful woman. Uh, she was a believer in the Lord. He was a believer in the Lord. In the midst of this culture, although they're about nine generations removed, ten generations removed from Noah, paganism has risen greatly. But there are always, thank God, in every society, including American society, including just about every country in this world, there is a remnant of people who believe that Jehovah is God and that Jesus is His Son and that He died on the cross for us. They were worshipers of Yahweh. They were worshipers of Jehovah. In the midst of this idolatrous society, both Sarah and Abraham were believers in the one true God and were trying to keep their faith in the midst of this when God called them out of this land to go to a land He was going to show Abraham and Sarah followed Him. It says that she got her name in Genesis 17, verse 15. Her name was Sarai. But God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, she will not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. There's a reason for that. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples, will come from her. The name Sarai means princess. The name Sarah means queen. So we see that she is blessed uh, by God with her name. In fact, Herbert Lockyer, who has a book called All the Women of the Bible, says she's probably one of the most important female figures that has ever existed in human history because she is the source of the Jewish people from who all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we see her background, and then as I said a little while ago, she was very beautiful. At the age of 65, Abraham was always concerned that somebody in high power would want his wife. Most of us, when our wives turn 65, don't worry about that. Now I do, because my wife is beautiful. But, uh, but most people don't have that problem. It's like nature takes care of Lust. <laughs> uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that. The rest you can ask. The deacons are going to take that up when I get through. We'll discuss that. There'll be a panel outside to talk about that. When we get but Sarah's very beautiful. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 through 14, as he was about to enter Egypt, there was a famine and they were going to have to leave. He told his wife Sarah, I know you're a beautiful woman. Again, she's 65 years old. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, hey, take this, his wife, not knowing you're my wife, and if they know that you're my wife, they will kill me to get you because you're so beautiful. And they'll let you live. So say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared. So when Abraham came to Egypt, the very thing happened he was afraid of. The Egyptians saw Sarah was a very beautiful woman. Now, God started troubling with plagues 
And when the Pharaoh started finding out what was happening, all these plagues, he found out it was because he was considering Sarah to be his wife, who was somebody else's wife. So thank God, even though Abraham, the father of the faithful, didn't have enough faith to believe at that moment in time that God was going to keep his wife for him, uh, God took care of the problem. So aren't you glad that we live in a God who is graceful <laughs> and loving and compassionate and even when we don't have the faith we need to have? So we see that she was very beautiful and we also see her belief. As I said, she was a believer in God. She had a personal faith in the Lord. Hebrews 11 Verse 11 begins, And by faith, Sarah. See, it was her faith. It wasn't a borrowed faith. We're not talking about Abraham's faith. Abraham had faith. He was considered the father. But Sarah had her own individual, personal faith. Enough faith to leave the only home she had ever known. Now, I know that men like being nomads sometimes, but women like a place. They like a home. They like to be settled. And so for a woman to get up and move is calling her out of her comfort zone, but yet she did that without question when at the age of 65, after living in a home place for that many years, and her husband says, hey, God spoke to me, we need to get up and move, she got up and followed him. She was a, had a personal faith that if God was going to bless them with a son, she was going to believe God. So she got up and followed the man that she loved all over that part of the world with not knowing where they were going and with him never asking for directions. That's faith. Because, and some of you women have learned how to have faith in a husband who doesn't know how to ask for directions. So she had a personal faith, and she had a powerful faith. Because any faith in God is powerful. In fact, that was what led to her salvation, which is the same thing that leads to our salvation, is faith. A personal, powerful faith. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us it's by grace we've been saved through what? Through faith. They were saved through faith. We are saved through faith. Our trust in God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says the result of our faith is this. You are receiving the end result of your faith, which is this. The salvation of your soul. Faith is what leads us to salvation. Faith in what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were having faith in what God was going to do for them. And Peter says in, a little later on in 1 Peter 1, 18, for you have not been redeemed with perishable things such as silver or gold. Uh, you're not redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen, the Lord was, before the creation of the world to be a sacrifice for us. But He has been revealed in His last days, times for your sake, that through Him you would believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. And that's salvation. So this is exactly what Sarah was uh, emanating in her life was this powerful, personal faith in the Lord. And if you're going to 
make it into eternity, you can't do it on somebody else's faith. In fact, if you're going to make it through this life, you can't do it on borrowed faith. When I was saved at the age of nine, when I felt the Lord speak into my heart from an 89-year-old preacher, which gives me some hope, <laughs> is that it's not the age of the messenger, it's the timeliness of the message that counts. And when he spoke of my of need for Jesus, the Lord touched my heart. And I came down the aisle and asked, how do I become a Christian? And they got my dad to lead me to the Lord. While I'm sitting there and my dad is leading me to the Lord, which is a wonderful thing in my life to know that my daddy got to lead me to Jesus. A girl my age came down and I could hear what she said to the pastor. She said, I want to receive Jesus for my life, but I also want to accept Him for my mother and my daddy. And that is a wonderful thing to ask. But it cannot be done. Nobody else can have your faith. And nobody else's faith can be yours. You've got to have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how godly your grandmother was. I don't care how godly your parents are or your brother or sister or your friends. There's got to be a moment in time you have to say, I'm putting my trust, my faith. Sarah could not live off of Abraham's faith. She had to come to a point, I am going to put my trust in God myself. And so, she had a personal faith, a powerful faith. She had a progressing faith. Because all of us need to grow in faith. We don't become everything we need to be the moment we have faith in Jesus for salvation. We keep growing in faith. In fact, we need to grow in the knowledge of Christ and faith in God. And remember, our faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of the Lord. And then we start acting upon our faith. Romans 1.17 says we need to... Uh, Here is the righteousness of God that we move from faith to faith. Because once again, if you're going to be godly, righteous, justly, try to live the way God wants you to do, you've got to do it by faith. And your faith comes by hearing what God says and then acting out what we've heard. So, Sarah, she walked in faith and her faith progressed. There was times she had strong faith. There was times she had weak faith. We always need to be growing in faith, but there's times we stumble and fall as she did because she was no different than us. I said, this is warts and all. There were times that she had hurts and heartaches, sickness and suffering. She was afraid of the unknown. Now where is he taking us today? We just settled here not too long ago. Now he's packing up the tents and saying we've got to move further south. And do you think that Abraham and Sarah ever had fusses and fights? I guarantee you, if you meet a couple who says we have never fussed or fought, you're meeting a couple where somebody's brain damaged. One of the two in there. Because anytime you have two different ways of reasoning and two different views, and we all do, is there's going to be some disagreement. 
And especially with some of the things that they tried to use as a remedy for the situation that God wasn't acting as quick as they wanted Him to act. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So, you can't make it through life with all of the issues that we have to deal with in life and the things that we as Christians face, the trials and the temptations on borrowed faith. We have to have a personal, powerful, growing, progressive faith. And she, although she didn't have this verse, we do. She lived by the same principle 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful. We have faith in God being faithful to us that He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, He will provide a way out so that we can stand up under the pressure of the temptation. That's faith. And so we see this picture of Sarah. We've seen her background. We've seen that she was beautiful. We've seen that she had a personal faith. But she also had a problem. Sarah had a big problem. And the problem was she was barren. She could have no children. It says in Hebrews 11, once again, by faith even Sarah... Now this has kind of given us the end of the novel. It's kind of like we've moved to the back of the book is that she's going to have a child. She had a child. But she waited for a child for 90 years. So there's a lot to be said from the time she was promised a child at the age of 65 and the time she had the child at the age of 90. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of ups and downs in that period. And we can understand why. Because... Being, having children, especially having the promise that through them a whole nation was going to come and basically Jesus was going to be born from their lineage. The Redeemer of the world. But when you're waiting, especially on God's timetable, it seems like a long, long wait. When she was past the age of having children, she had faith that she could have a child. Now, was she perfect? No. Again, her faith wavered sometimes ups and downs. And we find in Genesis chapter 11 that Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Eskah. And Sarah was barren. She had no child. She had always been barren. She couldn't have a child even when she was at the age that you are to be having children. And so this problem of her being barren became a horrible, horrible burden to her because back in those days, people felt the more children you had, the more blessed you were. And so, especially male children to carry on the lineage of the family, the name of the family, and especially this particular family who was waiting for the promise to come through them. And so, the inability to have children, if having children was seen as a blessing from God, the inability to have children was seen as a curse from God. So she's living under that stigma of I can't have 
children. And that was different in their day because today we are to have the idea that children are a blessing, but I think I see a whole lot of people that see children as a burden instead of a blessing in our day. But the psalmist is still right in Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. All of our children are gifts from God in a blessing from God. So when the Bible says Sarah could not have children, that was a real problem and was a real burden to her. She was burdened by her barrenness. And it seems to be something that a lot of the women of God experienced. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, was barren. And Rachel, Jacob's wife, was barren. All great leader, patriarchs, and matriarchs of the Old Testament. Yet God intervened in their lives so they could have children. So Sarah couldn't have children when she was young and now she's getting older. And let me share with this you today. Here's what we can take from this. That's a problem and burden for Sarah. But all of us, it may be that particular issue, it may be a different issue. But all of us have some problems today. And the enemy always whispers to us, this is a problem no one can fix. Our suicide rate of today would not be what it was if people really believed there was a God who's bigger than all of our problems. Nothing's beyond hope because nothing's bigger than God. For the Bible tells us nothing's too hard for God. So even though Sarah had a problem, she also had a promise. God gave her a promise. And in Genesis chapter 18, we read, even though she was barren, remember God had told Abraham several times in his old age, but Sarah was only relying on what God had said to Abraham. But one day, God visited Abraham personally. And as he was standing outside the tent talking to Abraham, he said it loud enough so Sarah inside the tent could hear what God said to Abraham so Sarah could hear it. So the Lord said, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah heard it. She was in the tent listening at the entrance of the tent, which is behind them. And then we go on to read. So now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way a woman had ceased to be with Sarah, so Sarah laughed herself saying, After I'm worn out and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will turn to you this time next year. Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied saying she'd laughed. I did not laugh because she was afraid. He said, No, you did lie. And so when she did have the son, guess what they named him? They named him Isaac, which means laughter. Every time they looked at Isaac, they laughed. 
And every time I'm sure Isaac looked at them, he laughed. Because it's not a picture you normally see. You don't usually see a hundred-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman with a newborn baby. So don't be too hard on Sarah. Would you have laughed if the doctor said, you know, give me your Medicare card because we're going to really need it in the next few months. We found out you're pregnant. And you would go, Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You know. So, but she had a problem, barrenness, but God had a promise. You're going to have a son. And let me tell you again, God is a God of promises. Now, here's what we normally do. When we have a problem, we usually tell the problem to everybody that will listen to us. We get on Facebook or some kind of social media and say, Here's what happened to me so that we can get all the sympathy and then we love sharing the problem because that gets the attention to us. So we talk about the problem and continue to expound upon the problem. We need to quit talking about the problem and start focusing on the promise of God. That for every problem we have, there is a promise of God. So instead of pouting and panicking, we need to be counting on promises of God. We need to take God's Word, start reading God's Word, and find the promises in God's Word and claim those promises, hold on to those promises. Because here's what a problem really is. A problem is just an opportunity for God to show us His power that comes with His promises. And instead of complaining, we ought to be saying, God, here's what I'm going through, and take it to God. And as the old song says, take our problems, our burdens to the Lord. Say, Lord, here's my situation, and I'm going to leave this with You. And I'm going to trust You and have faith in You because nothing's too hard for God. That's what Mary said when they said, you're going to have a baby without knowing a man. And she said, I don't know how this can happen. And the angel said, Well, with God, nothing is impossible. Do we really believe that or is our God limited? Then you don't serve the same God that the Bible talks about and that Abraham and Sarah served. But He is. So then we see Sarah's patience. Or lack of it. Because here's the problem. She has a promise of God and here's her situation. God has taken His own time. And He can, because He's God. Because God's got all the time in the world. Time means nothing to God. Time means everything to us. We live by time. We wake up by time. We go to sleep by time. We eat by time. Everything we do is timed. We start looking, say, I can't wait till I retire, so I won't be time conscious. And then you retire, and then you start getting up earlier than you did when you start, we're working, you know. Because you don't know what to do with your time. Time runs everything that we do. But to God, a day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. God is not limited nor controlled by time. And sometimes we think, am I on His timetable or am I on my timetable? Especially when it comes to saying, God, 
I'm claiming a promise for you to do something in my life or something you had. And so, thank God He is patient with us when we're impatient with Him. And that's called grace. And thank God, you don't have to be perfect for God to use. As a preacher once said one time, God can hit a big lick with a crooked stick. Thank God. Because all of us are crooked. And, and, and everybody, I don't care who, from preacher to priest to parishioner, all of us have feet of clay. And we're all going to, despite sometimes our, because of our humanness and our inability, and sometimes our lack of faith, we fall and falter in our progression towards God. Sarah did. No perfect feet ever walked the path of faith. So, in her impatience, because she had mistrust in God, she made a mistake. She thought it was the right thing to do, but here's what Proverbs tells us in chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Never lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and let Him direct your path. Here's our problem. If God doesn't do it as soon as we ask Him, then I'm going to take this over myself and I'll fix this myself. And that's where we get into problems. It's when we take over God's job. So whatever we're waiting for, Isaiah 4, those that wait on the Lord will find that their strength is renewed. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary and walk and not faint. But if we take on the problems ourselves and say, well, God, since you're not going to act in a timely manner, and there's a reason God hadn't acted if He hadn't acted. Then we're going to take it over. So, that's exactly what Sarah did. She said to Abraham, since it seems like God's not going to allow me to have the child, how about you taking our maid, Hagar, and you have a child with her? And I didn't see Abraham saying, well, no, honey, let's just wait on God. Which is probably what she was hoping he'd say. But he said, okay, let's do that. And here's what happens. Anytime you have mistrust in God and make a mistake of getting ahead of God, you're going to have the misfortune of what that does, what your actions or my actions do when we don't wait on God. So we see here misfortune. Mistrust in God leads to mistakes, and mistakes leads to misfortunes. So they got ahead of God, tried to help God out, and now there's a price to pay for that. What's the results? Ishmael was born to Hagar. Later on, Sarah had Isaac. Ishmael, main name means the wild man. He had 12 tribes, a nation of 12 tribes. Isaac had a nation of 12 tribes, which became Israel. Ultimately, the Ishmaelites, the half-brother of Isaac, hated Isaac, hated Israel, and began all throughout the Old Testament to attack and destroy Israel any chance they could. Unfortunately, that continues on today because out of those 12 tribes became the nation we know as the Arab nations, which eventually out of that group of people 
came a man known as Mohammed, which out of that man came a religion known as Islam, which hates anybody who is not of that religion. So even today, that mistake is still costing our world today because when you forget the promise and act on your own, you're going to get a misfortune. You can either get a wish Ishmael, a wild man, or Isaac. You either get the son of a problem or the son of a promise. When we act on our own outside of God, we get misfortune every time. So we see here the problem and the promise of God. And then not only was Sarah's situation that she didn't wait on God, we see that God was silent. Because you know there's times that it seems like God's nowhere around. Have you ever been there? She did. Sometimes God's silences speak louder than what He's saying. If we'll just listen. I knew of a pastor in Fort Worth whose daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And he wrote a book called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, which was just his honest, raw emotions of watching his daughter get sicker. And one day his daughter, in the midst of the sickness, said, Daddy, have you asked God to take my leukemia away? Have you asked Him, Daddy? And what did He say? What do you tell a little girl when God's not speaking? What do you say when the heaven seems to be silent? You see, sometimes God seems to be a million miles away. And in Abraham and Sarah's case, that's exactly the way they felt. Because they got the promise at 75 and 65, now at 85 and 75, the promise seems to be something they need to take in their own hand. And then, after they've seen the disaster of that, now it's nearly 100 and nearly 90, they're wondering, God, did You really speak to us? Job felt that same thing. He says, I look, I go forward, but He's not there. And I go backwards. And I can't perceive Him. And when He works on the left hand, I can't behold Him. And when He turns to the right hand, I cannot see Him. Have ever, ever experienced? I don't know where God is in the midst of my suffering. I don't know where God is. Where was God when this happened? How could He have let this, whatever this is, you see, and all of us have those situations. Where is God when this sickness hit me or my loved one? Where is God when my child rebels and the more I try to straighten them out, the further away from me they seem to get? Where is God when you're going through abuse and no one seems to care and you're too afraid to share? When you've got a decision that's life-changing that you've got to make and there's no clear picture what direction you should go. When the finances seem to have run out and all there is is bills. When there's a sin that continually 
overtakes us that we seem to have any control over. Or maybe this story is even closer than you think. Maybe it's I can't have a child and I want a child and we desperately desire a child. And God's not helping us see what the answer is. See, David felt abandoned by God. That's why he wrote Psalm 22. Even Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? It's a raw, real response when sometimes God seems a million miles away. What do we do? Well, first of all, I think we do what David said do. First of all, ask the Lord what He's doing. Say, Lord, are you trying to show me something? Are you trying to get my attention? Is there something in my life that's keeping me from hearing you? Are you trying to show me something I need to learn? Are you preparing me for something through all of this that is going to help me later? I think we ask. I don't think sometimes we need to believe that God's going to send a letter down from heaven or right in the clouds the answer. But I think we've got to trust at some point in time I will trust the Lord enough that I will get the answer for what I'm asking. And always remember what He has done. If He's not doing something for you right now, has He ever done something? As the old song says, count your many blessings, start naming them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And remember how faithful He has been. And just be honest with the Lord. You know, People say, well, I don't want the Lord to know that I may be doubting or fearing. Who are you talking to? Just be honest with the Lord. Say, Lord, I just want you to know I'm kind of upset with you. You think the Lord can handle that? I mean, why be a hypocrite and say, well, you know, you come to church, well, everything's hunky-dunky. I'm just feeling on top of the world. No, you're not. You're just wondering if, if I've done something, where is God in all of this? And it's okay to question that. And just say, but Lord, I'm going to trust You. So we ask God to intervene in our situation, and then we praise the Lord in the midst. Not for the problem, but for what God's going to do in the midst of the problem. For all things work together for good to those that love God. We've got to have faith in that. We've got to have faith in our faith. Even in our struggling with it. That's what Sarah did. There's words in Germany on a wall where the Jews were hiding from the Nazis. And here's what is on that wall. I believe in the... And think about who wrote this. Someone saying an entire nation exterminated at the hands of an evil, demonic person. When you see six million people eradicated, I'm sure there are many times they wondered where God was, but someone wrote this on the wall. I believe in the sun even if it isn't shining. And I believe in love even when I am alone. And I believe in God even when He is silent. Sarah experienced the silence of God. Yet she prevails. Because once again, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of the Lord. That's why we've got to stay in God's Word. That's why we've got to stay in connection and communion with one another to build each other up while it is day. Sarah prevailed. She kept trusting the Lord. And as Charles Spurgeon said this, when you can't, 
see God's hands, you can always trust His heart. That's what she did. Yeah, she messed up. But she finally and completely put her trust in the promise of God. And the result was, Hebrews 11.11 says, And by faith, even though Sarah was past the childbearing age, she considered God still to be faithful, who made the promise, you will have a son. And so we find Romans chapter 4. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what God had promised to do. So she triumphs. Genesis 21 tells us, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore for him. You see, here's the truth. Sarah prevailed because she had faith. Even though it wavered, even though she struggled, she kept her eyes and focused on the Lord instead of the problem. And God let the promise happen. 1 John 5, 4 tells us, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that helps us overcome the world, our faith. So if Sarah, at 90 years old, can have faith that she's going to have a baby, what do you believe in? Is there a promise of God you need to claim and hold on to? Like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know that what I'm going through seems to be bad, but I'm going to trust God it's going to work out for good according to His purpose. I've done some red things, but God says I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll never remember again. I'm weak. I don't know if I can make it through this, but Jesus tells us and Paul tells us I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't know where the next bill is going to be paid from. I don't know how I'm going to face this or that. Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by one Christ Jesus. But I'm so imperfect. Well, thank God so was all of these. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, God's grace is sufficient because His strength is made perfect even in our weakness. We can hold on to a God because He's holding on to us. That's the promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let's bow our heads. How much faith does it take? 
Your faith is measured in sizes. Jesus said the smallest amount of faith could move mountains if we truly believed God. Even though we struggle, let's focus on the one who's made the promises, who has the power, if we just have the personal faith. What is it you need God to do? Perhaps you're here this morning and you need salvation. And perhaps in your mind you're saying, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. For where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. For Jesus' blood covers all, not part, not just a great portion, but all of our sin, our iniquities, our failures, our shortcomings. So no matter what you've done, the truth is you can have faith in the promise that God will save all of those who call upon Him and desire salvation. If that's you, do it. Just right now in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, take my life. Take the good, take the bad, take the ugly. I lay it at your feet. Come into my life. Remove my sin. Replace it with your righteousness. And help me grow in faith for you. That's salvation. Perhaps you're saved, but you've never followed through with the Lord in baptism or even church membership. Maybe your church membership somewhere, it's been a long time and you haven't been there in ages. I think it's important that we follow the Lord and become a part of His body, His bride. If you need to do that, God will bless you. Perhaps it's because you're going through a situation where He seems to be silent. Trust Him. Even when you can't hear Him, or feel Him, or see Him, He is still there. Say, Lord, I'm taking this situation. Maybe you need to come to this altar and lay at His feet. Whatever it may be, come and pray with one of our prayer warriors. We have prayer people all across this auditorium. Something about prayer. If any two of you shall agree, it's a promise. Touching anything in heaven, my Father in heaven will give it to you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's have faith in a God who can make a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman parents for the first time. If He can do that, He can handle what we lay at His feet. Father, take this moment. May our faith be more than just something in our mind. May it be a demonstration of our lives as we act out in our faith what we truly believe You can do. Or we're trusting You. We're trying You. We're proving You that You mean what You say and You say what You mean. Lord, forgive us where we've struggled. Help us in our faith. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.